make sure you catch Teenage Bounty Hunters while you're on your vacation because uh, I watched it and it's it's great. Teenage Bounty is it is it people hunting teenagers or is it teenagers <laughs> hunting other people? Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 275 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm, I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the sequence of events. I'm, I'm Adam and I forgot the sequence of events. I'm Sam mm-hmm. and I respect the order, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is September 4th. 20 Blondie. Mm. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen in this show. Uh, there's going to be swears. So deal with it. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for letting us grab your money. Uh, and actually, I think it's September 3rd. So we're recording a day early because uh, mm-hmm. Sam's going to be Sam's gonna be scooting out and taking a nice luxuriant four-day yes, weekend. Mm-hmm. We've got that. Uh, you got to take advantage of when these natural events occur where there's a long weekend and then you just stack some extra days on the back of it, you know? These, these natural long weekend events. Mm-hmm. Such yeah, as, what is this one? I don't even remember what this one is. Labor Day? This is Labor I want to say Labor Day. I think it's Labor Day. Yep. Is I don't even it? know what holiday it is. The, I just, Aren't you, you're not supposed to wear white. Uh, that's Memorial Day. No. After the day or maybe it's weddings. We I don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't <laughs> I'm know bad at holidays. basically anything about holidays. But all I know is that when they happen on a Monday, weddings. then you can sort of leverage that by using one of your, you know, vacay days on Friday. Not that I'm going anywhere yeah. because you know there's a pandemic, but I will be vacating in my mind, you know, for a couple of days. Yeah. So Do you, you have you won't be doing plans? any art or playing with spine or anything? I will be doing a lot of that stuff, but I'll be yeah. doing it on my terms, Adam. You yeah, know? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, I always, I mean, I'm always learning stuff. And well, make drawing. sure you, uh, make sure you catch Teenage Bounty Hunters while you're on your vacation. Cause uh, I watched it and it's, it's great. Teenage Bounty, is it, is it people hunting teenagers or is it teenagers hunting <laughs> people? It's a, it's a show I about like a couple better. of teenage, a couple of teenage girls who stumble into basically becoming sort of like interns for a bounty hunter, uh, in secret, of course, because it's more dramatic that way. Wait, is it, but, is it uh, reality TV or is it uh, no? It's a show. <laughs> it's okay. a, well, I, yeah. I think my understanding of the of the, the world of, of bounty hunters in the United States as a, as a thing is it's, it's basically this this wacky. It's just the wild west. Like there don't seem to be any actual laws. Like you're somewhere. Like we already know laws don't apply to police, right? But they're but they're. We have a structure in place, though, that like kind of pretends as it if pretends it does. like there is. So yeah. pretend like there are laws there that, that govern that institution, and you have regular people for whom laws govern very, you know, very draconianly, right? And you got unless bounty you're hunters, rich. unless you're rich, yeah. And, and you got bounty hunters who are in the middle. This weird no man's land where we don't even pretend that law, like laws don't apply. Just period. We don't even pretend, and you just you just like get a license and you can just. Do you even have to get capture a capture people now? I don't know. It's it's really wild. You could just capture people. Yeah. And I, I guess in in the premise of the show, they, they refer to the people they're catching as skips, which is typically people who have skipped out on court dates and are trying to flee or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they got to track them down, bring them back in, and then the, the state will pay, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. But I was, I, was telling, uh, I was telling my wife, it's it actually reminds me of The Walking Dead. But but for a very specific huh. reason, like The Walking Dead is a zombie show, right? And so you're like, fuck, there's going to be lots of zombie action 
But in The Walking Dead, there's sometimes entire episodes where you never even see a zombie. Right. Because it's actually not about zombies. It's the zombies are like the the background noise that injects chaos into the the relationships between the characters, mm-hmm. right? So teenage bounty hunters is very similar, where the bounty hunting uh, is actually just kind of like a background thing that's kind of lurking there throughout the entire show, and it kind of rears up at random times to uh, you know make the story more exciting. But it's a great show. Is it really? Highly recommend. Is it really actually about then the teenage, basically just being a teenager? It's, it's mostly, yeah. It's mostly just about teenagers just do just trying to figure out how it's coming of age pe- story, how to be people. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, but also they're bounty hunters. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Super good. Can you be uh, a teenage because this is why I was curious. Like, no, you, that's the thing. You can't. <laughs> it's and so, so there's at so least one rule it. for bounty hunters, which you must be eighteen or something. Yeah, they made a point of it where like they aren't bounty hunters. They're just um, they are interns for the 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 guy who they ended up working with. So that was that was a legal loophole that they found. You could, could be you could be an intern for a bounty hunter, do bounty hunter activities, but not call yourself a bounty hunter. Can you still yeah. just like like capture people and, you know, just handcuff them and stuff or do you have to I don't know. Do you have to be called I, I, a bounty hunter more officially? Can you be a bounty hunter intern and a 5-year-old? And then handcuff people. <laughs> sure, it sounds and probably legit. as long as your as long as your supervisor is there, right? You know, probably. Right. That's true. Yep. Uh, so, Sam, you wanted to talk about Spiritfarer. Yeah. So I, I, I picked think. this one up on uh, on Game Pass last weekend and settled in with it, and it's just absolutely lovely. So I wanted to to pass the good word on to um, to all of our, our listeners who might have either an Xbox or uh, a PC. Um, actually, I think it's on everything, but it's uh, it's on it's via Game Pass as well for the, the subscription program, so you can just get it if you have that. Uh, but it's absolutely wonderful. So the, the whole idea is it's basically you become the the ferryman for the underworld, and you're replacing Sharon, who is the you know the the ferryman in I think it's Greek mythology, who is like basically you know the Reaper. Like he looks like the Reaper in this context too, big, uh, bony. You know, he's got like a dark robe. He's very spooky looking. And then you're taking over, but you're this sort of like, oh, I guess you look like you're sort of like a maybe late teens, early twenties, very maybe bright. teenage bounty hunter. Maybe yeah, who knows? Uh, basically, actually, yeah. yeah, you basically are a bounty hunter now. I think about it because you go to these various, <laughs> you're you're rowing a boat around in the afterlife, basically uh, visiting various islands and things, and you're finding these spirits who need to move on but haven't yet, and then you essentially you get them as passengers on your boat. You sort of help them resolve their final issues that are sort of tethering them to the world and you uh, hug everybody and you hug everyone. And the thing is like the hugs are great. I'm going to be honest. Like this is oh, one yeah. of the f- a few yeah, games where I was like, every time someone allowed me to hug them, I was just like, yes, because the animation's so good. Uh, <laughs> it's also, so it's all 2d traditional drawn animation. And especially the first, yeah, that means for every character they had, they had like one of the things that they had to do was have a hug animation. Mm-hmm. But, but does, does your character also have a different hug for each? I think you basically just go in the same. You're but, right, to say it, right? Yeah. yeah, but they they sort of react however their personality is, right? Um, but the hugs feel so good. So it's it's a very uh, it's very cozy. It's a very it's just a really warm overall experience. And then beyond that, I think the so it's a I mean it ends up being a crafting game and a management game, right? So you're you're essentially managing this boat. You're building out stuff. You're collecting resources. You're doing like the typical activities. Um, but they did a really just honestly like a phenomenal job of making it so that each one of those activities is different enough that you hardly feel like you're playing a game. This is like sort of the easiest way I can put it, where 
Hmm. It really, like, it does feel like you're just this person doing these things. But I think because of that range of activities where you can, you can literally hug someone and then you go operate a sawmill, right, to, like, chop some lumber. And then you go out and, like, basically do some, like, light metroidvania platforming things. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really good. And the writing's hilarious. Uh, very fun. So I, And I've even had a cat, which is probably the most important thing. Yeah, and pro tip, if you press down and then the hug button, then you can hug your cat whenever you want. You can, hug, yeah. you can only hug people oh. once a day. But yeah, the, the cat, I mean, you can hug that cat just constantly if you feel like it. I guess the hugging people once a day rule makes sense because if you kept trying to hug somebody repeatedly, they, they would be like, I'm They literally I'm say out. that. Yeah, I, I always try to hug them when I talk to them and they're like, I'm good. You know, I'm good. So I'm maybe good, someone actually. else needs a hug. And I'm like, <laughs> The first time it happened, I was like, wow, okay. I guess there's boundaries in this game, but I uh-huh. wasn't here it's for a good, It's always a good thing to teach, physical boundaries. Yeah. If you hug the cat too much, do you get? Uh, do you start to bleed? Uh, I don't know. The cat's very, you, been very nice you, so far. The cat's a very funny singer here. Do you become wounded? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, cool. So Spiritfarer, check that out. It's on, everything. like I said, every, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we want to talk a little bit about some industry news before we get on to questions, which is – uh, Vlambeer announced that they are closing their studio after 10 years of, of making games. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vlambeer, they were kind of at the forefront of the, the indie tsunami, I think mm-hmm. would be the term. Uh, so they, they started, I think their first breakout game was uh, Ridiculous Fishing. Yeah, on, uh, on Super, iOS only at Super the Crate time, Box or, or was actually the first or, one. Yeah. Oh, was that one first? Super, okay. Yeah. okay, so Su- Super Crate Box um, did super well for them, and then Ridiculous Fishing did ridiculously well for them. Nice. Um, and around <laughs> the time that they made Ridiculous Fishing, they were also in the middle of uh, controversy because they had they had shown some stuff about Ridiculous Fishing – uh, some gameplay clips and stuff before they had released it. And and I think several other companies yes. actually came and, and cloned it immediately, like in a week, and published clones of it uh, but long before the actual game came out. Um, so they were – they kind of got pushed into the forefront of this big conversation about uh, – just about like the cloning problem of mm-hmm. – that, that people were dealing with at the time, especially as new tools like Unity, Game Maker, whatever, started becoming more robust and made it easier to just like quickly pump out a game. You yeah, know, this is all sort of just happening at the same time. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and then they, they've made a bunch of great stuff since then, things like uh, Nuclear Throne, um, and they've got, uh, was it Luft, Luftrausers? Yes, the aerial dogfighting dog game. Fi- dogfighting game. So they made tons of cool stuff, um, and they were also very uh, inspirational for, for us and a lot of other indies for um, their approach to things like juice, you know, just like making making super juicy, cool-looking games. Flambeer yeah, um, so is known even for with their simple art screen stuff. shake. And yeah, juice basically like that's been their their thing. Their their titles tend to be more on the actiony and the arcadey side, and then with a lot of they just feel good, you know. There's a lot of shaking yeah. parts, there's a lot of explosions and that sort of thing. Yeah, and and I'd say in the past in the past several years, um, probably in the past five years, especially uh, Rami Ismail, who's one half of Flambeer, spent a lot of his time touring around the world, giving talks at. Game developer conventions and and uh, events and stuff like that, um, talking about life as an indie developer, trying to give tips and help people out. They publish lots of tools to help other indie developers, um, but the I would say that the core of their message over the years has sort of shifted from an optimistic tone to a more 
cautionary tale. <laughs> yep. As I think all of us have, you know. Yeah. Yeah. To say like, you know, at the beginning when there just weren't that many uh, people making games, it was a blue ocean as, as they call it, which is like, there's plenty of, there's plenty of room in the sea, you know, for everybody. The industry's great. Um, the tools are great. There's a lot, there's a community that helped. It's very supportive and stuff. And if you have a dream, you know, you go build that thing and, and put it out and, uh, you can, you can make a living. And there were, there were people, especially at the dawn of the, the app, the iOS app store and stuff, you know, there were people making a, a solitaire game and taking home $152,000, you know? Um, now there's 152 to 200,000 solitaire games. Yep. So it's not gonna, not gonna happen. Unless um, you do uh solitaire Royale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so things have just gotten extremely competitive. Um, the markets have opened up with things like steam direct, um, with the flood of things on Google play and and the app store and and even, even previously sort of closed platforms, um, like, like, uh, Nintendo's eShop have seen a huge increase in the number of games that they have coming through and stuff like that. So things are just super competitive. Um, and Vlambeer, uh, their their kind of tone shift toward more like, well, be careful if you want to go into <laughs> yeah. indie dev because it's getting harder and harder all the time. Um, and so the interesting thing about their their closing announcement was essentially they just don't want to do it anymore. I guess like it, it's not a oh we ran out of money oh we're bankrupt oh our last project f- was a flop it wasn't any of that stuff. They just said uh, they just want to move on. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's at the moment it's unclear what that means, like moving on to, because both of them, so it's a two-person team, right? But both of them have been involved in just other kind of miscellaneous projects. Uh, they barely feel, at least from a public direction, like it's a team, right? It feels like it feels like you just have two different people who happen to fall under the banner of of Lambier on occasion, which is basically when a game comes out, right? Is, is really what it feels like. I think it's largely been their shtick the whole time, though. Is that I mean, yeah. if you read all these articles, because like they. Uh, they don't actually like each other, which is, I think, the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, they, they don't really like each other, but they they know that they work extremely well together. Because does that mean they like dislike each other, or are they just like are indifferent? I think they're I think they're largely either indifferent or leading a little bit on the dislike side from all the I've read and from from chatting with Robbie himself. But that's very, a, that's I mean, a like, hard relationship to maintain for ten years. For a apparently not. I don't know. Like, I think they just have, they seem like they had a good understanding of each other. And the value that each other could bring to the partnership, and then just let that be what it was. Um, but yeah, so so the programmer on that team has also done. He's been working on a bunch of projects actually. So Minute uh, was actually programmed by the other half of Lambier, um, and so it's it's one of those things where it's, it, it doesn't seem like even that they're necessarily burned out, right? Which is sort of one read of it because both of them are actually continuing to do stuff. Uh, it's more so just not under that. Well, I think my my bet is that because the other thing that Rami's been doing. For the past few years, in particular, um, besides, so, so he's he, there's been a tonal shift, definitely of like, okay, this is actually a lot harder, and maybe you should consider not doing so on. But but really, the big thing he's been trying to do is is make game development more accessible um, in in the sort of in the community aspect, where where his his whole thing is basically it's bullshit that all the major things take place first in the United States because people from outside the United States, especially with the Trump presidency, can't get in to even attend conferences or speak at them and so on. Uh, and, and, and it's in and San Francisco. Then, yeah, then even once you which is, once you make it in here, now it's in one of the most expensive cities uh, in the country, and then and also the world, right? And so the accessibility. This is talking about like GDC and and then also like PAXs and all these events, right? Um, so all these events that are that are supposedly the, these are super essential 
business networking opportunities and places to learn from your fellow developers and all of this stuff. Because uh, then you take like the GDC vault, right? Which costs like what a thousand dollars, six hundred dollars, and then to get full access to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the cost to, to entry to be a true part of the community and truly participate and have access to the same materials as everybody else and that kind of stuff is is so high, uh, even within the United States. But but in particular, if you have to come from outside, that that it's just not accessible. It's just not available to huge huge swaths of of the global population as well as the population inside the United States. And so his big thing has been advocacy for that, um, and mm-hmm. and basically publicly giving you know GDC a lot of shit for for, for what they're doing. And, and then he also started that uh, global online convention, yeah, Game Dev World, yeah, Game uh, Dev World. Yeah, the first one last year. It's basically it's it's actually speakers from actually across the whole globe. Then they give the talks in their native language. And mm-hmm. they are live, closed captioned in like ten other languages or something. Yeah, I think actually most of what their their funding goes to is to making things available in different languages. So in terms of, it's, it's all like professionally oh, yeah. translated in the whole deal. So it, it, I mean, it's so, so he's doing very cool stuff, and that, and that you can't do that and also run a game studio. There's just <laughs> no way in hell yeah. you could do those two things. So so my bet is that is that this other stuff that he's doing um, in terms of being a part of the industry is just going. He's going to be basically putting. Instead of kind of pretending like he was doing both, because I think realistically it was probably it's hard. It's just too hard, right? I think I think he's basically saying, okay, I'm I'm actually done with the whole like being a person who makes games and sells games part, and moving into this more like advocacy and potentially consultant role or something like that. Would, would be my the, bet. That would making the industry more so than the games at that point, right? Yeah, which is cool. yeah, which is which is, I mean, I think honestly that's that's great for the industry because I think he's he's already been a really good influence on that direction, um, and uh, and making that a little bit more official, I think is probably. It. A good thing, yeah. So I think yeah. it's a, a big thanks to to Vlambeer, I think, because they, they've been an inspiration for for us as well as a lot of other industries, especially especially back in the day. Um, yeah, I mean, they have, got in three or four years before we started, right? So yeah, uh, they, yeah. we were always we always felt like we were like trailing, we were like the trailing wave. what they were doing and trailing yeah. the wave and uh, and getting to kind of see like what success looks like and what being a part of the of the industry looked like um, was largely in reference to them because they were also doing it so publicly. Um, mm-hmm. Compared to most of the and studios. with and with such a tiny team, yeah, you know, we were, yeah. Uh, so best of luck to whatever, whatever they end up doing mm-hmm. in the future. Um, I'm sure it'll be incredible. All right, well, let's get on to questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question comes from Irish Luck, who says, "What game do you go back to over and over again?" For me, I always find myself playing Skyrim and RimWorld after trying something new. Mm. What's your What's your comfort game? You know that you just like you just keep dipping back. I have into a few it. games that I I always think I want to go back to, and then once I start, I like stop playing within an hour. Which which are which are Fallout Three originally, but now Fallout Three doesn't play well on Windows Ten. Um, which is hilarious to think mm. that it's two because it doesn't seem like it's that old of a game, but I think. The first time I played it was something like ten years ago, so it must. It came out in two thousand eight. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was. Okay, I, I know I played it several years after it came out, which was at least ten years ago. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's actually an old game, but yeah. So it actually it doesn't it just doesn't run on Windows ten anymore. It turns out. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to play it a few times, and I can. You can if you set certain properties in some config file, you can get it to run like more or less okay. But it was just like freeze, and then it's just. It's just stop now, and so it's too tiresome. Um, I think I think I probably would play that a little bit more if it actually if I could. But then there's also Fallout New Vegas, which I fucking love. So that one I might come back to. But the only one I actually come back to and like actually play for more than just an hour 
is probably Terraria. Mm, yep, yep. And even that, it's only maybe a weekend, right? I'll play for six hours of a weekend or something. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm a definitely a, a hobby gamer. So for me, it's just always been World of Warcraft. Like since 2004. Yeah. Uh, I've just – but the thing is it's a totally different game every couple of years. Um, so that, I don't think that really counts because I'm not going back to it. Um, mm. And I did actually play the, the classic one uh, for for quite a while. But uh, it, it – as, as happens with many MMOs, it's all about where your friends are, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so most of my friends were still playing the 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 current version. So I I I still play that one, um, but I do go back and I play I play RimWorld because it's amazing. Uh, it definitely I would say the novelty of RimWorld does wear off mm-hmm. over time, in the sense that like it's it's really crazy how in RimWorld pretty much anything can happen. And when you first start playing, it's these ridiculous stories come out mm-hmm. of it, right? Where you're like, oh my God, this person was a pyromaniac and I and also horrifyingly ugly, and they kept getting rejected by everybody in the colony for romantic advance <laughs> advances. And then they burned my entire food area down. Mm-hmm. And then everybody starved to death, right? It's like that's a crazy story. But once you've played Room World for like 50 hours, you've seen stuff like that happen. Just all the time, yeah. And it and it weirdly just becomes a matter of course, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and so, uh, but it's still amazing and it's great. And I haven't yet gotten to space. I haven't actually beat RimWorld. I've gotten super, super close. Um, and then uh, Kerbal Space Program, which is just amazing. Uh, and then Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The old uh, uh, two. Th- I think it's maybe two thousand three something. Yeah, Xbox. Old, yeah. Xbox uh, Star Wars RPG game. I still submit that it's that it's one of the best RPGs ever made. Um, good. And it's on Android, so you can get it for five bucks. <laughs> That's on Android. crazy. It plays it plays medium because it was it's you know it's built for a controller, um, but you can also just use a Bluetooth yep. controller with it. So yeah, I think I, I think I've played the first probably ten hours of Knights of the Old Republic like 12, 15 times. It's awesome that it has so, that level of uh, that level of variety, such that with a little time and a little forgetfulness, you can have you can have a pretty fresh experience. Actually, whenever you come back, yeah. To it. Well, it's it's uh, it, it actually you can you can tell when you look at the the stats for the characters and stuff like that that it's it's from that era where RPGs were still heavily derived from the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, so your character still has like intelligence, constitution, wisdom, charisma, right, right. you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, and it's, and it's one of those ones where depending on what your character has, much like, uh, fallout. like fallout, right? Like different, different paths open up to you where you can persuade people, but then they have extra layers of stuff like force persuasion, you know, where you, like if, once you become a Jedi, then you have like extra weird tricks that you can do to people depending on how you specialize. So it's a, it's an amazing RPG. Yeah. I think on my side, um, probably one of the one I've come back to the most in recent years is probably Terraria. Uh, and then Diablo three, weirdly enough. Um, Hmm. that's just sort of one of the ones where every so often I'm like, I would just like to slaughter monsters, just enjoy the loop, man. Just hop in the loop and just go. Uh, Diablo is great for that. Um, Weirdly enough, since especially since getting those subscription services, if I have just a couple hours of downtime, I've been mainly what I do is I just I just play a new one. Uh, it's made it so easy to kind of pop in, and it's been really fun because I think from a 
from a design sense, like I'm no longer looking for a particular comfort. What I'm looking for is just like something to, to inspect almost, which is actually where spirit Fair came from uh, last week. I played undermine as well, which is pretty good. Good roguelike. Um, so yeah, I actually, with the subscription services, it's more like I go back to the service, almost like Netflix, right? Like I actually don't, I don't rewatch shows. I'm not, I've never done that really too much. Um, I, did, I, re, I replay some of these games, but, but typically I try to do it in a different context when there's a new update or something like that. So for me, it's more about having the repeatedly having the experience of not knowing what the hell is going on at the beginning of a game is weirdly enough kind of the, the I mean, that is the best Yeah, seeing what not, not having any idea what's coming yeah. next. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's some good, there's some good recs, mm-hmm. good recommendations. Um, all right, let's go to the next question from captain jazz who says, what is the important or interesting thing you have learned about yourselves, your team and your studio during this season of working from home? Mm. I, okay. This one's going to sound a little bit weird. Maybe, no, maybe not get weird. I've discovered that a lot of my motivation for working out and lifting comes from knowing that other people will see me. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Uh, seeing the same, the same six people on video chat and essentially no other people, uh, or at least people who I care about. Like if I just go to the grocery store or something, it's like whatever, right? Yeah, you know, random, random strangers, whatever. But uh, you don't have to go intimidate anyone at GDC, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to be a big beef monster uh, because nobody's going to see it. So what's the point? You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, if we talk, so it, it shows the lifting. The lifting wasn't really about being able to lift things. It was about being able to lift minds, mm-hmm. lift hearts, <laughs> to flex into people's <laughs> hearts. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's very true. Um, the one that's been surprising for me, one is just is actually how well it's all worked. To be honest, um, that's that was a big surprise. We talked about that a long time ago, but that was a very big surprise, especially given our, our last experience with it was when Adam was in Texas. Uh, and we were using a combination of what Skype and Hangouts or something, and I don't know. It yeah, was I not that, the, well. I think the tech wasn't as good at that time because I was yeah. Like Discord didn't exist yet. I think Discord Discord is like one of the key reasons this is working. Um, Slack probably was, but I think Slack uh, as Slack as a means of of recreating an office environment, I think is just not nearly as effective. Yeah, so um, it's still a good collaborative tool, but it's not good at like recreating an office. Yeah, I think th- yeah. those things have been have been. Uh, that was like very, very surprising at the beginning. I think uh, for me personally, it's been that the degree to which, so like when you're in an office environment, it's very easy to basically derail like, you know, anybody because you could just start talking to someone or, or, or if someone near you expresses anything, you know, of like a high, uh, with a high level of excitement, right? Whether it's like, oh my God, or like what, or, you know, this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, or somebody might just be reading an email and they'd be like, hmm. Yeah, and then you're thinking, oh, what? What's something that? interesting? Yeah, yeah. Um, let me so go jump over there. I, I think I've I've been pleasantly surprised actually by it's almost like the the argument I used to have for the need to work in an office is also now the same argument I have for enjoying not working in an office, which is that when you're there, it's it's nice because you can basically there's this really open collaboration, and so you can get people's thoughts on X, Y, and Z. Um, but it's also the case, of course, that you get collaboration where you just don't need it. Like I don't need someone to ask me like why are you making that why are you being like what uh, I wasn't you know, I wasn't saying it for you it was just 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 letting some emotional vents out and not having to actually sort of 
deal with that particular social layer has been has actually been very uh, useful in terms of focus. Um, what I will say in terms of a personal pride point for me in terms of the team is the extent to which, even though we don't then have that just sort of low-level social interaction happening all the time, because of the two meeting structures, we start the day with the video chat, end the day with the video chat, um, and then some of these check-ins and like game days and stuff we've been doing, that it still feels like everybody on the team has really good rapport uh, with each other. Um, and I think because of the town hall structure and some of these other things we've implemented, we're still everyone's still able to actually, like, I, f- I feel like anyways, to emotionally connect with each other. And ha- it seems like there's a there's relationships there as opposed to, I feel like one of the really rough things about work from home is that you can just get isolated, where it's literally just about doing the work, um, which I don't necessarily yeah. think is good over the long term. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, Adam, you got anything? I don't think I have anything to add to that. Really. I, think, I think I've largely been like the initial surprise was was what we we already said, which was just that it worked at all. Um, but I think I think if, if we compare what we're doing now to what we're doing when I was working remotely from Dallas, to, to me actually, it, it wasn't just the tooling; it was also it was the mixed nature of it. Because the the thing that sucked about it the most um, was the 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 sense that I was missing out on stuff, right? Because Sam and Seth would be working in the same space. Mm. While, I, while like while and, and I wasn't just like on audio video video the whole time like in the space so that, that was just like also part of it right uh, so I would get looped in when we had something to discuss but that meant basically like when my when my specific opinion was needed while Sam and Seth are of course just like talking back and forth basically constantly the whole time and so there'd be all these that means the, dis- the discussion has already happened the discussion has happened and now I'm being like yeah. filled in on a thing or you know whatever mm, and so yeah. and, and I think the, the way that we're working now is more structured anyway because we have more people and it, and it just sort of requires more of that like okay these two people go off and actually figure stuff out and, and whatever but when you're a three person team and basically like two people are in the same room yeah hanging out having a good time drinking Red Bulls eating chocolate <laughs> and like and then, yeah. and then oh, yeah. coming up with and solving interesting problems like play yeah. testing and having play, telling jokes and get the whole thing right and then you're off literally by yourself because at the time at the time too my wife was still uh, not working inside the home and so so she's gone right so I'm just like at home by myself in silence uh, and then and then would sort of like be introduced to interesting things that I'd missed right right which is just deeply unpleasant uh, and then you do that for like and I did that for a year and a half um, it's just not good. And, and that, that made me have a really just bad view about what remote working would be like. And, and I, and I, and I still, and, and now, now having thought about that, once we moved into this, I was, I was thinking back to, mm-hmm. to what it meant and what the differences were and how we, how do we not recreate those same problems that I had to deal with. And, and for me, actually the, the, the crux of it was to not have a mixed or to, to minimize the mixed model aspect of it, where you yeah. have partially remote, partially local. Um, I feel like that's where all the, that's where the conflicts really start to come in, and you have to then, which isn't to say it's impossible, but you have to like you have to really just explicitly tackle that problem and say if we're going to have a mixed model where some people are remote and some people are not, uh, then what does that mean? How do we? Mm-hmm. What level of participation do we need our remote people to be um, for the the for the, the for this work situation to work? Um, and and then make sure you actually do it because if you just start doing it and you're just like okay well whatever we got remote people we got local people local people are talking having a great time doing their own thing and then the remote people are just missing out on everything it's just just doesn't work it just sucks mm-hmm. yep and I will also say that uh, it's it's made me question having a vehicle you know the same <laughs> oh, you yeah, sold, I sold my car. you sold your car yep uh, yeah I mean we're going out of the house. Uh, a couple times a week to take our dog to daycare. 
where we basically just at range sort of like set her loose into the, <laughs> into the, into the daycare. Uh, and then once every like seven weeks, you know, we we pay for another package of days or whatever. So very – almost no human interaction there, mm-hmm. which is, you know, weirdly ideal at this point in time. Um, but other than that, you know, just not just not going places. But I don't want to be caught in that situation where where after after in the aftertime, you yep. know, once this is all done, uh I don't have to go get a car because that's gonna be a well pain I think the, the main ass. thing for me is that yeah, I'm in the same boat as I don't I don't go anywhere, but but I really like drugs. I have a little a little manual Ford Focus with like no features. You know, I, I do have power windows and air conditioning at least, but but it's it's a feature free vehicle and 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 getting to just like hop into a tiny car, it's like a and have car. like have the manual shifting mm-hmm. experience. You know, there's it's just it makes driving so satisfying because normally I hate I'm bored out of my mind when I'm driving. I hate having to go places. Also, you uh, don't even have cruise control. Don't even have cruise control. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so, but it, it just I think to me it, it's a it's a piece of driving that gets to make it actually be fun versus driving my wife's car, which is just a more normal vehicle. Uh, and there's something about the the ease of doing it that then just adds to my boredom, right? Where I'm like, oh, I gotta go somewhere. Now it's so boring to go to that place because like, <laughs> I'm just just pressing a pedal down and the cars. Yeah, just, that you know, is something that's gonna. I mean, with electric cars. Yeah, it's going to no. get even worse. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Manu- manuals are already dying. Uh, yeah. They're pretty much dead at this at this point. I think. Uh, what, what's the, what's the? I don't remember what the statistics are, but there's it's now like single digit percentages yeah, yeah, of Americans know yeah. how to drive a, a stick. And my, I mean, my car was because uh, I was trying to trying to get it as cheap as possible you now, and uh, it, and I because I by knocking off cruise control and knocking off uh, automatic, which often goes hand in hand. You can't have autom or you can't have cruise control with a manual, but that's a weirder thing. But we're not, yeah. I saved like I saved like fifteen percent of the car's cost. Otherwise, would have been by knocking mm-hmm. those two things off, you know. And it's more fun to drive. And it's more so fun to drive. Go. So yeah, so I, yeah. I'm in this kind of weird position where like I, I, we don't need two cars. My car is clearly the more useless of the two. My wife can't drive it. <laughs> it's too small to store things. So like if we if we need to ever go do a real like mission of some sort, it's got to be my wife's car. Uh, so yeah, so I keep on having this like this uh, this conflict where I'm like. I don't really need this thing. I don't, we're not going to go back to office life. Um, even post COVID and post COVID we're talking, you know, a year and a half or more down the road. So it's still, even if we do go back to the office, it's so far away, but cars depreciate in value so fucking fast, right? That mm-hmm. if I sell this car now, then I'm basically, basically what I'm saving money on is now car insurance, right? For the next yeah. few years. Insurance property. But if I decide I need a car within like literally a decade, I think, um, I haven't saved any money because now I'm going to get a car again and the value of these things is so. Yeah. You should just keep that, place. keep that little manual Ford focus and just grind it into. That, that was yeah, that was my original plan. I've already been driving it. Since, it's a 2009, right? So I've just, I've been driving it for a long time and my plan was to drive it until it just literally wouldn't work. And then, cause at that time, the value, I think the value like for me to sell it now between then is probably almost the same. Cause it's well, yeah, if right now vehicle. it's, it may be like it's blue book value right now is like, Fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, or something. It's, yeah, yeah, it's like you're just running out of places to depreciate to. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, it can't. It was not gonna go down to zero. <laughs> so, so I think I'm like I'm at the bottom of that curve, and so I might as well just like keep this thing going forever. So yeah, I, th- I think looking at the the financial part, like it actually, I don't think if it's if it's likely in the next decade that I'm gonna need a car, then it just doesn't make sense to sell the one I have. That's kind of where I've landed. But it would, on the other hand, be kind of nice to not have another 
expensive asset to worry about. But again, it's not actually expensive anymore because it's not fucking worth anything because, you know, it's an old car. Nobody's going to want it. Yeah. Probably most of your insurance is on liability. I assume. I assume oh, the yeah. car is totaled if it gets even like a dent on the bumper. <laughs> yes. Because the cost, to, the cost to repair was more than the value. <laughs> it would be, yeah. It would be. Uh, yeah. Cause I've, I've been, I've been weird. I've been fortunate in the sense that I've lost two cars to hailstorms. Uh, while I wasn't in them, which is, you know, and, and also where I managed because of that, I managed to get more money from the insurance than definitely than I could have sold the, the car mm-hmm. for. Yeah. So I got, I got, a, I got a little refresher, you know, a couple of times. Uh, we haven't had any terrible hailstorms like that since then. Yeah, knock on wood, man. Also, also Sam, I had a weird moment when you were talking about Diablo three, mm. uh, when you were like, oh yeah, that's like one of my comfort games that I, I keep going back to. And I'm thinking, Shit, that game came out eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. But Diablo three, because I I distinctly remember it didn't feel like that long ago. I remember looking forward to the launch of Diablo three and being super pumped, and then like the crazy server issues they were having. And um, but it also occurred to me I was chatting with uh with Sampy uh, yesterday about how how I'm almost to the point where more than half of my life will have been spent post. High school graduation, mm. mm-hmm. which is that's I feel like this is that's a significant benchmark to think you know more than eighteen years ago you graduated from high school. It seems like a that's a that's a long that's a long time. time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the weird thing too about about the the COVID stuff is that it just just how actually how fast time goes when your routines are more strict than they used to be. Even because again, when we were working in the office, we had the same routine every day, right? But, um, you know, driving to the office, work, and then basically be done with working. But but I think the the difference in the evenings, whether it was like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym or go see a friend before I head home or you know, whatever else, um, there's a lot more running around, a lot more events and stuff. And so part of it is basically there's a memory density thing, which is that when it comes to making like new, brand new memories that have like a, a higher emotional kind of gain to them uh, – for me, the the pandemic has been interesting in that in that same sort of weird time slippage way, where because like it's it's September somehow, and I think that's that's the feeling that just keeps creeping up. And and the thing is, like you know, whenever I've, we've talked to our, our parents about this stuff, uh, there's always that comment. I'm sure people have had this experience too, where people who are anyone who's older than you will typically say something like, "Oh yeah, make sure you pay attention because like it'll go by real fast. Like anything anything that's happening to you will seem like it's just now. It's a year later, right?" And it only accelerates as time goes on, uh, but yeah. it actually it also accelerates depending on how I think how structured your routines are, how regular they are. Oh yeah, I think um, it's, it's absence of efficiency is what is what it's like. It's like that 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 Adam Sandler movie with the, the remote control. Right? Click, it's like, right? <laughs> click, right? But yeah, it's it's the uh, as things become more routine and become more efficient because that's kind of the same thing, right? Because I think even with the office stuff, because I think I think the office environment too actually slowed down time. Uh, because sure, within that environment, we had there was still you know an order of things that happened. We were still collaborating in a similar way that we are now, um, but there was a, there was more inefficiency in the system because now if you yeah. wanted to sit down and work with somebody, you had to like go find a place to do it so that you weren't bothering other people. Mm-hmm. When you wanted to have lunch, you didn't just like walk downstairs and prepare a meal with your spouse and eat that or whatever. You had to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go like run down and see if I can scrounge up something real fast. This is how, how I ate, right? <laughs> scrounge up something real fast. <laughs> uh, and, and you go down and you, like, you get coffee. There's a random number of people online. Like, and there's, and there's chat with someone. Yeah. You chat with somebody. You have like, 
or in my case, because I'm an introvert, like weird, just social things where I'm like trying to decide if I should or should not chat with people. Right. But like, mm-hmm. but those things, there's none of that stuff is happening anymore. And so, so you see the same, you know, person and like in your own house. Right. And, and you have a routine there. They have a routine probably. And it's the same sort of thing. Like you're the people in your household, if you have more than one are doing the same thing, right? They, they have also, if they're working from home, they've got the same sort of like isolated nature. They don't have the same, they, they've got their own schedule now going on. So they also don't have chaos going into their lives, which creates, mm-hmm. so they don't, because normally chaos Ch- spreads, right? Chaos creates memories. Yeah, it creates, and it creates more chaos. So if, you know, if you're, if you're, a uh, roommate or significant other or whatever, you know, comes home from work and is like, oh, here's the mountain of interesting, weird surprises that happened to me at work today yep. because it's a chaos engine. That creates chaos for you. And then you have a thing to talk about and so on, you know. But yeah, once you take all that it's, stuff away, you're just like, you're just a work machine on a, yeah. you're a working and living machine on a routine, right? So yeah, it changes things. Yeah, it's been wild because as we record the podcast, I mean, it's ever since we went to work, switched to work from home, uh, it's been so hard to come up with. Stuff that has happened, like we yeah. always had, like the life, the life section, right? And I, I don't think it's actually about working from home. It's 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 about working from home and also not going, not going anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's <laughs> the pandemic yeah. more so than anything else, right? Yeah. So you know, we we have we have things to talk about, like Netflix shows that we saw and stuff. But uh, well, especially when like yeah, because otherwise the stuff that that we are doing on a daily basis is just getting real in the weeds on stuff. Because that's what that's what the job that's what jobs are, right? Jobs are being in the weeds on stuff. Yeah, that's not that's not a thing to talk about on the podcast. So, like, so everything, so every we sit down, and we're like, okay, what happened this week? And then we're like, okay, this really cool thing happened with us trying to make this prototype, and like this, we just learned this cool web thing, and there's like a long list of interesting things, just not for this, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's no longer yeah. the chaos and en- chaos engine producing things that are of sort of general interest to people. There's a difference between yeah, a so story and like a lecture. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this is a, this is a storytelling podcast, not a yeah. lecture podcast. Yeah. Uh, so it's been uh, different. Let's so just say that. Maybe that means we need to uh, just have embraced this problem, just as a, acknowledge it as a problem, and have – because the chaos that comes in the podcast comes from listener questions, right? Correct. Which in the past, we would spend so much time actually talking about stuff that wasn't questions that we'd always end up with like doing one in the last 10 minutes or something. Um, so far, I think we've only hit one but for the past 20 minutes or whatever. So, uh, but, but by, by actually just having the podcast seated more intensely with questions, um, then just use that as the chaos engine mm-hmm. and not worry yeah, about it. Yeah. I'd like it, to know? thank our podcast listeners for being the agents of chaos in our lives during the pandemic, you know? Yep. Keep Maybe what you need is you need a, you need an app on your phone called chaos engine and you, you give it, you tell it all the things that you, that you plan to do, you know, that day. Right. Uh, and have it randomly stop you in some way. Or it'll just randomly shuffle them, you know. So you'll be like, fuck, I guess I got to eat dinner even though it's 9.30 <laughs> in the morning. No, I that's mean, the wrong thing. No, it's the kind of chaos you need is – it's not the chaos where like look, it's – you don't need literal chaos, right? You need you need a plan that gets contravened in some way, right? Mm-hmm. You, need, you need something to happen. You need to have an intention. And as you're going to do that, something has to get in the way. So what you need is, is, is the, the chaos engine needs to be a thing where – you are about to do a thing and then you randomly roll to see if something bad happens to you in the process or good. So you need sort of a D&D situation. Exactly, you need a D&D situation. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys make, make fun of my precarious situation setups that I'm always living. But uh, Same that's, that's, that's how I stay alive. Yeah. So <laughs> this morning, for example, so my wife and I got scones, oh of course, and then I had this little scone box and I had my, 
I had a hot drink in one hand and a cold drink in the other because I got to have like all of the drinks when I'm coming. You know, if you put your hands in both of those, you just pee. But it's true. true. That's why. Yeah, I've learned anything from high school or from, <laughs> well, it's from true. Yeah, I, I don't want to end up just peeing all over the place. So you know, I got to keep keep these separate, far apart. <laughs> but this means then I yeah. can't carry the scone box, which has half a scone in it, upstairs. So I precariously so did you wedge the sc- no, no, no. I precariously <laughs> just balanced it on top of one of the <laughs> cups, and I turned to my uh, wife as I started heading upstairs, and I was like, "Nothing could go wrong." And then I just started going up. <laughs> Cause like what? Who cares if a scone gets thrown on the ground or I pour some tea on the floor? Like who gives a shit? It'll be more interesting as I head upstairs in the first place. So, but I guess also, yeah, nothing went wrong, which is why you almost didn't tell us that story until we had to talk about the context of things. Not that's going the thing. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nothing happened. Yeah, because that's certainly yeah it, right. It's interesting in this context because we're talking about it. But had you just told that story without any other context, that would have been a just a boring fucking story. Oh yeah, right? being like, hey, I, I, I balanced <laughs> something on a cup today <laughs> and nothing went wrong. Nothing went wrong. Yeah, wow, the buddy. end. Uh, clap for you. Well, it is, we could celebrate small victories, you know, where it's like I put myself in this precarious situation and everything went great because mm-hmm. you know it's it's one of those. Uh, I used to talk about this back in my science days, right? Is like is is everything you read is basically we we discovered this thing that we think is true, right? Mm-hmm. And and then nobody's interested in hearing the thing that you found was not true, and so you just don't get to put that out there. And so you end up with this crazy survivorship bias where it looks like everyone's got their shit. To, it's like Instagram. Everyone's got their shit together. Yep. Uh, you don't somehow, somehow you're the only one, right? And it's the same deal here. It's like we're we're putting ourselves in situations all the time where things end up actually working out okay, right? Uh, we don't talk about that because mm-hmm. it's not interesting, um, <laughs> right? So maybe we need to talk about these boring things a little bit more just to be like, you know, life is a, is a humdrum thing where you can sow some attempted chaos. And sometimes you don't get mm-hmm. that chaos. Sometimes it doesn't pay off. Sometimes you don't have to clean up a spill, you know, but we can talk about that too. Yeah, there needs to be a there needs to be a scientific journal just called False, which is Things where they'll just any anytime you anytime you uh, had a, a finding where you thought something was going to be true and it turned out not to be mm-hmm. true, then it just they'll just yeah. There, there was a there was a up. joke of like a fake journal name that people would reference. I can't remember. It was, it was the journal of what was it? the journal of like False Discovery. I can't remember. There was, there was some like joke name that people would use when they would talk about it. But it was when they were dismissing a thing and being like, oh, well, you can't publish that because the only place you could publish it is the journal of order, mm-hmm. right? Which doesn't exist. Um, and there, there have actually been some, some efforts for like online journals and stuff to, to like to create some, Oh, it was the journal of negative results. That was the one. Uh, <laughs> and, but I think, I mean, that's, that's so useful though. I mean, when we, when we're Googling around to try to solve one of our weird tech problems, like finding a forum where someone's like, Hey, I tried this and it didn't work is usually how you get to the point where you figure out, what does work. So I think it's, mm-hmm. it's zany to me that the whole science community doesn't have that equivalent aside from if, in the, if you the frame it, of a department. Yeah. You just have to try to find a way to frame it in a, in a, in a discovery sense. That's like, that's always the goal. It's like we discovered this, which is indirect, which is indirect contradiction, you know, whatever, but like you have to find a way to twist it so that people feel like you have achieved something instead mm-hmm. of, cause there's something about that, that there's a, there's just a, a bias against the idea of discovering that a thing is not true. Um, in particular, if nobody else thought that it was true previously, which makes sense, right? Because if, if you basically – if you go out there and there's like some – there's some thing that people claim about the world and you do your experiments, you're like, this isn't true. Like this this thing is wrong. It's already really hard to publish that. If you just have your own idea, right? You're like, I think the world works in this way and there's nothing out there to, to contradict that. So it's it's a viable thing, right? You go do the experiments. You discover, shit, the world does not work this way. 
And, and not only that, but the thing that I discovered is actually so boring <laughs> like about that fact that I can't find a way to – I didn't discover something. I just had an idea that turned out to be false, right? Um, that's basically – that's where your little scenario is, where you can have a really great, really interesting, viable idea based like – and as far mm-hmm. as you can tell, based on what everybody else knows, that this is potentially true. And if you just discover that it's false, nobody gives a fuck. And there's no way to, there's no way to get that knowledge out there. Um and I think that's there that's, needs like, to that's, be, the, that's the whole. That's the one. That's like the yeah, place definitely. we don't have that. Well, there there needs to be an organization. I don't know what they would be called, but like they're like knights or crusaders or some kind of like like they they go out there and they hunt down hypotheses that everybody agrees upon and they just aggressively dismantle it. You know, mm-hmm. and disprove. Well, it is a lot of what academics pro- is supposed to be, right? Is is basically your whole community is supposed to be that, and and, and uh, that does work to a to a mind to a, you know to an extent. Um, but it's uh, but the the apparatus around it because because the people want to do that, but the apparatus around it in terms of getting funding and getting published that kind of stuff doesn't yeah. support it. Well, that's that's the problem. Is it's not it, it, imagine how the the world at large would view the group of people who constantly shoot down every new scientific discovery. <laughs> I mean, that is what scientists, yeah, that's usually what they do, right? I mean, most major theories, the yeah. first time they're put out, everyone's like, Pah! and then like 30 years later, everyone's like, yeah, they were right, I guess. You know? Actually, no, they're, they're usually like, oh, that was totally wrong still. But we thought it was or right it for yeah. a while. Yeah, right. But it probably wasn't. All right. Uh, next question comes from a couple of people. It's about the new Game Maker update, Game Maker 2.3. Mm-hmm. So a question from Mopate Flatunk says, oh, Game Maker released a new version with structs and functions. How quickly, if at all, do you adopt the new functionality? Do changes to your core technologies like this excite you or cause you anxiety and dread? Um, and Retro Banana Man NL says, I see Game Maker Studio 2 has a new patch. What's your experience with it? I assume you had fancy beta access. So, uh, it's incredible. It is a game changer in terms of, um, of what is now possible in, uh, like on the programming side. However, we have a, a tooling issue, which is, uh, this new version of game maker completely changes how game maker projects are structured and all of the tools that we've built to assist in our development rely on the, the old, the original version of game maker projects. Um, so none of our, none of our current tools will work. Uh, and we also, so back when we started working on level head, we, we, we had not migrated our older games to game maker 2.2, which is the current version. Um, and it was a very slow process that ended up creating a huge amount of tech debt, and as you may know from listening to our more recent episodes, it took us about three months of aggressive work to uh, dig out of the tech debt hole that we created for ourselves because we hadn't deliberately migrated those games to the new version. So, uh, of course, right as we get finished with this round of tech debt burned down, uh, the next version appears. Uh, and so our plan is now we need to try to orchestrate this better so that we can actually just migrate all the games at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we, once we have our tools up to date, then we, then we make the switch. Yeah. So we're um, both very excited. So basically all the things that you asked, if we were feeling that emotion, the answer is just yes. Yep. Yes. Excited and filled with anxiety and dread. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. I think the thing to me, that's going to be really, I think the, the biggest thing that's a change is going to be extremely valuable is is the uh, the ability to just define functions wherever you want and 
because it's a code reuse thing, right? In GameMaker, you can't easily reuse code um, because you have to you have to put that reusable code in the global scope, right? So if you want a function that you can call twice, now everything can call that function, every fucking thing in the whole program. And so now you have this like huge wall of scripts, and, you have, and it's all organized. Like so, we have, I don't even know how many we have in, in like level head, right? But it's a jillion, but the, you don't need them for almost anything you're doing ever. Right. So you don't get access it's like the, the amount of just mental overhead required to make large scale games in game maker is enormous. Um, and there's going to cut down yeah. a lot on, on that. Yeah. I think, I think the, just, just to kind of give a sense of what it, what it means is it's the idea like, let's say you have a pause menu in your game and the pause menu is going to do a bunch of stuff, right? It's going to, it's going to spawn some buttons. It's going to maybe like pause the world and deactivate things, whatever. And all of these different verbs that the pause menu is doing, those are what you would consider a, a function, right? It's just like a thing that it's going to do. Um, so, so previously your options were either you just code those up in the, in the pause menu, just in raw code. So instead of making a, an encapsulated function, you just write out all the stuff that it's going to do. Um, or you make a script, which then goes into the, into the project hierarchy in your pile of your other 3000 scripts. Um, and the, as Adam said, now anything can, can use that function. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could have a function called like, like pause menu spawn buttons. And I could use that, that script in the player object mm. or on the main menu, even if there is no pause menu and, and presumably nothing would happen, but that's confusing. Right, like, why can I do that? I shouldn't I mean, be able to. Something do that. might happen if something did happen. You wouldn't want it to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the nice thing with this this update is now now I can create a function that lives in the pause menu object that that it's just part of that object, and so it doesn't appear anywhere else in the game. Nothing else is going to use that function. Yeah. I mean, any programmers um, listening to this who so who who are programmers and have not used game maker, you'll be hearing this and you'll, and you'll just be thinking, Oh my God, like that was, that was, <laughs> that was what, you, yeah, it, it is, it is, Oh, it's a wild, there, there are a few just like core deficiencies in, in pre 2.3 game maker, um, that made it just honestly, extremely difficult to program large scale projects. Um, we did it anyway. And a lot of that was through also having external tooling as well as just developing approaches to doing it. That kind of kept stuff relatively safe and, and like reasonable to manage. Um, but it required just a lot of our own overhead to be able to to do, and that's gonna a lot is gonna go away, and then uh, and that's gonna bring with it some additional cool stuff that's gonna make it easier to handle asynchronous things. Meaning, I ask for a thing to happen, and I don't know when it will happen, right? Uh, like web stuff, like which basically web stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. so you never know when a, web, when a web request is gonna come back, and you want to make sure you can still do stuff between now and then. Uh, if you need to, right? And and that when the thing does come back, then you know that it did, and you can do something about it. And and coding up that logic in in GameMaker two point two and below is uh, like if you look at if you look at just the code involved with handling the Rumpus web requests, it is something. It is just I don't even know I don't even know how many objects and global scripts are involved, but it's a lot. Numerous, and numerous. <laughs> it, it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Like me coming from from JavaScript and Node, I'm just so spoiled on this stuff. Where like the, the kind of stuff that Seth has had to do to make these things work is stuff that that he's done in like a thousand lines of code, or things that I can do in like ten. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. It's just because of these, like these core missing <laughs> sort of components of the language. So, so I'm I'm very excited uh, for for just how much programming capacity is going to be added by by this update. Um, and even though we're going to rebuild all of our tools, which I just finished actually rebuilding um, as well, um, 
were to rebuild them all, but the the underlying structure of the Game Maker projects now is way less wild. Yeah, it's better. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's yeah. a lot better. It's gonna be it sucks to have to redo the work, but but the thing that made it hard the first time um was you know, we're externally we're externally managing the files that Game Maker makes and then doing that in such a way that we don't break your project. Like that's the goal, right? And so Game Maker just does stuff in such weird idiosyncratic ways. Like you can't if you make a thing work for sprites, it won't also work for sounds, right? Um, and that's including how how like how folders are managed and stuff. Like there's stuff that should be the same everywhere, just they're just not the same. Uh, and I won't go into the weeds about the other stuff, but I'll just say that folder management, like the way that Game Maker handles folders, is you it's you couldn't wild. guess that this is how that they are. <laughs> it is wild. Uh, but Game Maker two point three does like what you'd expect, basically makes it a lot more reasonable. So if you look at the code for the tooling that that, that we've put together so far. Uh, I think fully like a third of all of the code is dealing with folders, right? Because the way it's handled is so weird and so logically yeah. convoluted that it just required this huge amount of infrastructure. So, so yeah, I mean, it's all to say, I think this is, this is only a good thing when it's going to create some nuisances for us. Definitely. Yeah, there's also some really good uh, artist style side uh, updates coming in. Oh, yeah. The sequencing yep. system, which basically allows you to actually animate uh, animate from within. It's, it's more or less animate... Um, you know, UIs or animate cutscenes and stuff like that from within Game Maker itself, uh, which is huge because then as a, as the artist side of things, you can one is is that work previously always had to go onto the programming team. Um, so yeah, you could you could scope something out to your heart's content, but you couldn't actually get it in there yourself. Um, yeah, and now it's more so that the programmers it, how it should be basically, which which the programming side of things sets things up, and then you go and iterate on essentially on the on the delivery of those things, the animations of those things. Uh, until they're actually good, and so a lot of the a lot of the art sites can be changing too. Such that I think I think teams that are teams that are a bit more professional or or trying to trying to you know leverage into a more professional uh, status with Game Maker as an engine will have a much easier time going forward. We should be good. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I also want to give give a shout out to the Yo-Yo Games uh, team. We know a number of the uh, folks on the engineering team and. And product development team and stuff, and uh, they've been they've been working their buns off mm-hmm. to get this because we we've we've seen little glimpses of some of these things even up to like three years ago as mm-hmm. they were trying to because I mean this game maker was was originally made by just a guy in the early two thousands I think um, and uh, and it has evolved over time to be from to co- go from something that could make standalone windows executables period where the the programming editor was essentially notepad with literally no syntax mm-hmm. highlighting no variable memory nothing um they have they have managed to sort of shepherd this this piece of software and evolve it over time into something that's becoming just increasingly more and more powerful and uh, they've just done a, uh, they've done a great job with it mm-hmm. so very excited about Game Maker 2.3. Uh, now is as good a time as any, you know, to pick up a uh, pick up a new hobby. If you're interested in in uh, game dev, check it out. Check out Game Maker 2.3. You know, you might have some time because of the uh, the situation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. 
See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.